In this podcast today, I'm joined by Francis Lewis, head of Osborne Clark's Workforce Solutions sector team. And we're going to cover today some common practical issues that have come up for end user corporates, staffing suppliers and consultancies as a result of changes to the private sector IR35 rules, which came into effect in April this year. Fran, I know you've worked with a lot of end users and suppliers to help them assess IR35 risk and help them implement policies to manage this risk. But from my perspective, understanding the legislation is one thing, but understanding how to deal with IR35 in practice is another. Now, now I know you've been immersed in all of this for a long time. Uh, what sort of issues have you seen come up? Um, well, firstly, hello, Ian. Um, I think the issues and challenges differ depending on the size of the organisation and the extent to which it uses off payroll workers. But for most large ones, the first and continuing challenge is to identify which arrangements are caught or potentially caught by I-35. Uh, so, it, for example, most companies rightly assume that supplies made by recruitment agencies need to be looked at from an IR35 point of view, but they are not the only areas that need to be considered. So many consultancy services and similar types of services also involve the supply of people rather than a managed service or deliverable. Broadly speaking, IR35 should be considered where a service involves the use of contractors and the service is charged for on a time spent basis rather than upon the supply of a deliverable or outcome. So in practice, the difference between the two types of supply can be difficult to identify. But a relevant question might be, what is being supplied? Is it a software implementation or is it the supply of software developers? If it's the latter, then usually IR35 needs to be considered. So essentially, the end user may need to carry out status determinations on a broad range of roles and scenarios than they think, especially, I suppose, as the end user will be liable um, under, under payment of PAY and NICs, where you should have applied I-35, um, but it wasn't, and where the end user didn't carry out the status determination. I mean, that's a, that is actually a real problem, isn't it? Yes, and I think it has been a big issue, a headache for a lot of end users, knowing when to do status determinations, and perhaps when to do them as a matter of course, caution just in case in relation to arrangements, which might be reviewed in future by HMRC as a supply of people rather than of managed services. Uh, there are also some practical challenges when hiring and procurement decisions are made by a number of different functions across businesses because they all have a different experience of IR35. And a lot of end users use third party status determination services such as QDOS and R35 Shield. There are, you know, there are various uh, alternatives out there and CEST is obviously a tool that's used as well. But even where these automated processes are in place, they only come into play where the business has identified where IR35 needs to be considered. So if you have a pocket in your business that hasn't been identified, status determinations won't be be done and that that could create uh, a, a risk issue 
I've seen a lot of examples of service contracts and supply arrangements which appear not to require consideration of R35, but which on closer inspection are really a supply of people, even though the contract or service is assumed to be one of consultancy uh, or some other form of subcontracted or outsourced service. I think it's worth uh, remembering that the label statement of work is often relied on to place the arrangement beyond the need to consider IR35. And indeed, a lot of contractors and staffing companies have tried to sell this as a way of getting around IR35 to their clients. But it is the reality of the supply that needs to be assessed. And if it is, in fact, the supply of consultants rather than a consultancy service, then status determinations may need to be done. Another related area of confusion that I've come across quite a lot is the question of who is the end user and therefore liable to carry out the status determination. This can be very um, difficult to uh, pinpoint in practice and I often see situations where multiple parties are carrying out status determination in relation to the same roles and clearly this can create problems where different parties reach different conclusions about whether the arrangement is inside or outside I-35. Yeah, that, that would be awkward, wouldn't it? Um, more generally, wouldn't it just be safer for end users to carry out determinations basically for anyone who's off payroll? Maybe, but it's often uh, not practical or it's just not necessary. So if a service provider is able to confirm that all of the people who work on an end user's project are its own employees and paid on its payroll, then IR35 will not be a factor because IR35 only needs to be considered where a person supplies their service through an intermediary, which is usually going to be a personal service company. And by the same token, end users should not need to do status determinations in relation to workers who work through PAYE umbrella companies because umbrella companies are currently not intermediaries for IR35 purposes. And as a result, IR35 does not apply at all. That's not to say that use of umbrella companies doesn't present its own challenges. Yes, um, we, we've seen the um, recent calls to regulate umbrella companies and several reports on the use of small umbrella companies and links with other tax avoidance schemes. Um, but if IR35 doesn't apply to these arrangements, they still present a risk to end users? A uh, short answer is that they could, especially if the end user or others in the supply chain have encouraged the use of such schemes or turned a blind eye to them. I think it's fair to say that the changes to IR35 have prompted a mass movement of PSC contractors into umbrellas. And this would not be a problem, at least not from a tax point of view, if all umbrellas operated straightforward compliant PAYE payrolls, and if, of course some of them do, but there are also a growing number that offer what they quite often call enhanced benefits to contractors, all of which are designed to remove the sting of inside IR35 determinations and minimise tax and NICs for contractors. Um, we, we know that HMRC are aware of these schemes, and views them as tax avoidance. And in some cases, uh, the uh, recent reports in relation to small umbrella schemes, they do regard them as fraudulent. So such schemes have been around for, for a number of years, 
but they seem to be generating new concern and scrutiny because of the large numbers of contractors moving into them. And we saw something similar to this in the public sector back in 2017 when the IR35 rules changed there. Um, large numbers of healthcare workers moved from, it has to be said, inappropriate PSC arrangements to umbrellas offering to maximise pay by paying people such as nurses and social workers through offshore loan arrangements. And this resulted in some very uh, unpleasant tax bills for workers who didn't understand the risks, hence the, um, the loan charge uh, scandals really. Uh, one, one key area we advise end users and staffing suppliers on is how to recognise dodgy umbrellas and what checks to carry out to ensure as far as they can that they are paying workers on a fully taxed basis. And HMRC confirmed they now expect such checks to, to be carried out on staffing supply chains and that they will seek to transfer tax debt liabilities to suppliers and end users if tax is unpaid and there has been no attempt to check that umbrellas operate in a compliant way. So that, that's going to be quite a, a, a big is a developing issue going forward. And another point just to um, be aware of and something we come up uh, against a lot is that um, HMRC and the risk of enforcement is one thing, but there is also an issue for any company looking to sell or for investors looking to buy. And we know from recent corporate deals we have acted on that IR35 and increased use of umbrellas is now a key due diligence issue and can lead to delays, delays, increased legal and accountancy fees in getting to the bottom of whether such arrangements are risky and also possible renegotiation of the, the deal price. So, it, you know, it's not just a, a tax risk issue, it can be a, a corporate event issue as well. It sounds to me that um, if there is a fraud here, then there's the uh, failure to prevent facilitation of tax evasion legislation could also be relevant. Yes, um, it is something that all users and suppliers of contingent workforces need to be aware of so that they can identify whether there are parts of their business which might be exposed to the possibility of facilitating tax evasion. And in uh, staffing supply chains, uh, that might be where a hiring manager allows a recruitment company to encourage contractors into certain schemes. It might even involve some form of kickback from the recruiter to the hiring manager uh, for putting business their way or turning a blind eye to the hiring, uh, to, to blind eye to, what, to what's going on. Uh, through use of these schemes. So we would advise all end users to review their Criminal Finance Act policies and defences to make sure that they're up to date and cover all relevant risks, including arrangements for the procurement of off-payroll workers. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, going back to I-35, um, any more practical issues you've seen come up? I think for understandable reasons, most of the focus has been on dealing with outside R35 arrangements and ensuring that appropriate status determinations and contracts are in place. But one area that I've seen a lot of confusion around is what to do about arrangements which are determined to be inside R35. Because a lot of companies assume that uh, personal service companies can just continue to be engaged and paid after deduction of PAY and NICS, but it's not as simple as that. 
So a lot of people don't appreciate that it is the personal service company that has to be put on the payroll, not the individual contractor. Of course, one solution would be to put the individual on payroll, but that would become headcount. And in most cases, that would defeat the object of using off payroll, payroll workers. So putting a PSC on, on payroll is usually non-standard, uh, certainly for most payroll software it is. And most companies I've dealt with have opted not to operate or even offer a deemed direct payment payroll for inside our 35 contractors. So this means the most likely solution for most uh, contractors is to become umbrella contractors, which as we already touched on makes I-35 go away, provided the umbrella operates full PAYE. But it leaves many companies needing to engage with umbrella companies, either directly or indirectly through um, suppliers like recruitment agencies. Either way, the contracts that they use to engage umbrella supplies should be different to that used to engage outside our 35 supplies. Getting the right contracts in place with the right parties and carrying out compliance checks on umbrella companies are key to managing not only our 35 risk, but other tax risk associated with labour supply chains. Okay, since you since you mentioned that, apart from IR35 and uh, CFA, what other tax risks uh, would you um, flag as, um, in association with labour supply chains? Um, well, there are a number um, and they broadly include the agency worker tax rules, that's section 44 to 47 of ITPA. The managed service company legislation, the travel and subsistence rules relating to um, payment of expenses by employment intermediaries, the offshore employer rules, the construction industry scheme, flat rate VAT scheme, employers allowance rules, enabling legislation, DOTAS and you know sometimes the senior accounting officer rules as well. They're all potentially relevant to labour supply chains and I think you know, some are more likely than others to transfer tax liability along the supply chain, but all have the potential to cause commercial or reputational damage. <laughs> that's that's quite a list. Um, just, just focusing on one then, the, the the construction example we were discussing the other day. Do you want to just just highlight that one? Uh, yes, we we know that a large number of personal service company contractors working in construction have been encouraged to move away from personal service companies to CIS sole trader arrangements, which involve workers being engaged as sole traders and paid after CIS deduction, that's a construction industry scheme. And the avoidance here is really employers' nicks. This switch may, may be effective in circumventing R35, but any recruitment agency supplying sole traders uh, or possibly also dealing with the payment companies who supply these CIS workers will have to show that the manner in which such workers work is not subject to anyone's supervision, direction or control, because that could impose PAYE liability on the supply chain under the agency worker tax rules. Bearing in mind that most of these workers will have moved away from PSCs because the work they do has been determined as being inside IR35, it will likely be a very small number who would pass what is known as the SDC test, which is more limited than the IR35 test, but you know nonetheless linked to the presence or absence of control. 
So I think it's worth noting that when the agency worker tax rules were amended in 2014, I think it was, most agencies moved away from sole trader arrangements because they regarded it as too risky. In fact, nothing has changed since then, except perhaps that it's now regarded by the agencies as less risky and possibly less inconvenient for their, their big clients than R35. But the fact remains that agencies could still find themselves on the end of very substantial tax assessments, possibly enough to put them into insolvency. And we have actually seen an incidence of this. So we, we know it can happen. And if it does happen, then contractors would be left unpaid and end users may have to pay out twice. And it's also possible that HMRC would look for a way to try to transfer the considerable tax debt to parties who knew or should have known that tax has been avoided. Uh, thanks, Fran. Um, that's probably about as much as we have time for, though we could talk about this for the rest of the day. Uh, what strikes me about this area, and which I think you've illustrated, is that I-35 is just one issue. The tax legislation that applies or could apply to off-payroll generally is littered with so many hidden traps. And as companies try and deal with the new I-35 rules, they need to be careful about not solving one problem by creating another. And understanding I-35 is one thing, but as we often discuss, it's your wider picture that we need to solve the problem, I think, for these sorts of clients. So um, thank you, Fran, uh, for those insights. Always interesting, if a bit scary. And um, that's all we have time for today um, in today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>